You are listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these uninspired talks given by Michael McAllister, followed up by question and answer exchanges with groups of his students. I've alluded before to how we can look at ego or mind or our separate self-sense, whatever you want to call it, as existing on a plane, okay? And the ego tilts in any combination of four directions on this plane. It can either go into past or future, spend a lot of time on that, or it can go forward for grasping or greed, okay, craving, and it can come backwards in its judgment for resistance or pushing away. And so it will function on that plane, moving in any combination or variance of those uh, directions at any given point in time. On that plane, we are, in essence, separate from all other things. We perceive ourselves to be in that space. There's a miraculous thing that happens, though, when we can observe that plane. That which is observing the plane isn't trapped by it. It isn't locked into some type of you know, spiritual etch-a-sketch type of thing where you're either going up or sideways or, you know, it's, it's, it, there's a much more facile uh, um, openness to each and every single aspect of our move the minute we can actually see the plane, the minute we can actually see and observe what's happening on that plane. And at that moment, instead of a spiritual two-dimensionality, we go into a spiritual three-dimensionality. We suddenly have taken just this, this uh, length and width orientation and we've added depth to it. And the best way to continually add depth to this is to practice noticing our experience so n when we notice, actually, our craving, our tendency to go after something with greed, or our resistance, which in essence is just our craving for something other than what is presenting itself to us. When we recognize that nothing is wrong, it just is. And in the recognition that things just are as they are, we can act from that th three-dimensionality of spirit as opposed to a two-dimensionality of either craving or resistance. That may sound really heady, but it's just a very, very simple, simple way or methodology of kind of reorienting our life towards one that actually deals differently 
with things. We deal differently with whatever arises and that, that the differential, if you will, is openness, is love without an opposite, is compassion, is tenderness, is smile. We begin to see anger instead of being angry. We begin to see negativity as it arises instead of becoming negative or negatively oriented in relationship to whatever arises. And this may be a good working definition uh, for enlightenment, for awakening. The Buddha called enlightenment the end of suffering. He didn't say what it was. He said what it was not. He said it was not suffering. And when the Buddha, he, she, it, whatever, you, however you like to contextualize it, offers this teaching, we are essentially just reminded of the fact that the Buddha is offering a third dimension to our existence. Instead of being locked on the plane of ego or mind or separate self-sense, we are actually liberated from that trap. The etch-a-sketch then becomes a beautiful sculpture that we make and the world makes mutually in each moment. We are no longer forced into this trap or confinement of we create our own situation. What's real is that we participate in every situation that we face from either a perspective of contraction or a perspective of openness. And when we participate from that spaciousness, the spacious opening, we become a gift, not only to ourselves, but to every other being that comes in contact with us in that moment. That's the end of suffering. That type of participation is the end of suffering. So to talk just a little bit about this idea of craving and resistance. Like I said, I speak a lot about past and future, but just to talk about craving and resistance on that plane of ego. Seekers, spiritual seekers specifically, but uh, spiritual seekers or seekers of any kind really look for an end point to this work. And crave or resist any thing or any situation that undermines or works to undermine that egoic assumption of finality. Anything that undermines ego's assumption that if I just do this, I'll end up without suffering. I will become enlightened and then I can really, then things really will take off for me. And we know this not to be true. 
um, for a couple of different reasons. But first of all, ego is always looking for an endpoint to something. It's always looking for to add just one more. Th if only I could. It, it, yeah, boy, if just that. Everything would be great if only fill in the blank. You know, I mean, that's the way. So often, we uh, we we work. Um, spiritual awakening doesn't work in that way, though. It works as a moment-by-moment moment opening, and a moment-by-moment, mo a moment-by-moment. Is that a, is that a new word? Moment. <laughs> it's a moment-by-moment moment surrender to what is. From openness mopenness <laughs> you get what I mean though right all this mopenness going on is it's really it's quite wonderful but anyway we ego craves an endpoint and there is no endpoint sorry sorry ego <laughs> there is no endpoint it is the moment by moment participation, the moment-by-moment -moment awareness of that three-dimensionality of being. But if we feel our resistance fully, that actually is a way off the plane. It's a way out of the etch-a-sketch reality and into a th three-dimensional, actually we could call it a multi-dimensional reality, when we just observe our resistance. Oh, wow. There's a lot, of a, a lot of intensity coming up surrounding that issue. There's a lot in me that wants to get away from the, being in that space. That actually, that added layer of awareness creates like a buffer zone between what used to be, as my teacher used to call it, armor. He said when you're in an armored situation and the armor fits real close, any slight, any, in other words, any dent that might hit that armor is going to create tremendous discomfort. Okay? Being able to observe your experience fully without resisting it, just observing the resistance, creates space between what feels and the armor itself. And with practice, we actually give that even more space so that no matter what slings and arrows of outrageous fortune come our way, the dents are not felt in the same way they were before. And you'll find most practitioners will get into this space where there's just an easing of, the, of life's day-to-day -day tensions. There's an opening. There's a relaxation. It doesn't mean that the person does not participate. It doesn't mean that there's a loss of passion, of fire. It means that the fire just burns differently. It means that the passion expresses itself differently. And in some cases, really, I will, mm -mm, in all cases, really exciting ways because it no longer just operates, once again, in a two-dimensional space. It becomes multi-dimensional and hits people differently and mysteriously and magically. So watch your feelings. 
instead of watching your feelings with judgment, watch them with an open, discriminating awareness. That's a judgment light. <laughs> judgment without ego. Judgment without ego becomes discriminating awareness. Instead of it being this or that, it's wow. Huh. Huh. I recognize it, but I'm not going to give it a fancy label. I'm certainly not going to give it any energy. I'm just going to be there for it and with it intimately. And when we practice this, we create this amazing opportunity for meeting all things, all things that arise in our awareness. And every single thing we meet becomes our teacher. Everything we meet becomes our teacher. Everything we meet becomes a direct path to spirit, an absolute divine invitation towards understanding existence through the mind and through the eyes of God with a loving heart. Studying that resistance, studying that resistance, studying that craving, studying those moves, those egoic moves forward and back, craving resistance, studying them as they come up allows for all things to be our teacher. And we become surprised by how much there is to learn and how much beauty and sorrow, ugliness, happiness, how much is there that we can be present for, but that we are not whipped around by their existence. We don't look at situations in life, we don't look at circumstances in life as being problems. We look at them as circumstances. And then the automatic question that arises is what is the appropriate response to this circumstance? We become a gift. So to give just a little bit of stuff for all of our egos to hang on to here, I wanted to kind of just delineate a little bit between discriminating awareness and judgment and how we can be alive to it. Uh, judgment is always going to come from ego. It's always going to come from that separate self-sense. It's always going to come from um, a place of clinging or resistance. Discriminating awareness comes from witnessing. It comes from observing. Instead of listening to the birds and letting ego jump into this mix and go, man, now that is really gorgeous. That is really beautiful. I think that that is the lesser known California cuckoo. I think that's, I, th I think, I, I, I think, 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 that's what, that's what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. That's what I am hearing in this experience. Instead of that, it becomes, oh, it's beyond words. <laughs> it's, it really is the sound of the Big Bang itself manifesting in this precious little being's song. Judgment can oftentimes fall into the trap of case closed. 
Case closed. This is what's right. That is wrong. Discriminating awareness is open. It doesn't know. It doesn't need to. It's beyond that compunction to know. Case closed. This is right. This is wrong. It's, it's open. Judgment is always labeled. It's labeled. Discriminating awareness is without sign. It is signless. Judgment is contracted. Discriminating awareness is infinite. Judgment is form. Discriminating awareness is emptiness. And once this experience of the formless begins to inform the experience of form, there is personal and collective evolution from a two-dimensional egoic sense to a multi-dimensional awakening to and through, from and with spirit. And it's not easy. I mean, the good news is, it's not only possible, it will happen. That's the good news. It will happen for each of us, either on our deathbed or before, hopefully before. The bad news is it takes some effort. Doable, countless, countless numbers of Buddhas have done this. And they weren't all Buddhists. <laughs> all right? All wisdom traditions have people who have awakened to this truth of deep union, profound singularity, a sense of the all. And then they were able to bring that waking up into a descent or a opening down with everybody as everybody and that's what pushes evolution or intelligent design if you really want to refer to it as that I mean that's a joke so just so everybody knows um, it has to be a priority this has to be a priority in your life. Not like show up to infinite smile each week and it'll suddenly happen. But it has to be something that occupies a huge spot in your awareness day to day. Give it that space if this is something that you're really interested in. Ego is really interested in this until it gets to a certain point. And then the inertia of your interest takes over because ego will desperately be pulling the e-brake. Oh, dead time out. Uh -uh. No, I'm driving the bus. Stop. Oh, son of a gun. And the work is so simple. Don't move and watch what happens. Don't move and watch what happens. Either your mind, your feelings, be still. Watch your mind. Watch your feelings as they arise. Watch time fuel both 
thought, and feeling. Watch it all in relationship to craving and resistance again and again and again and again. And when we do this, we recognize ourselves to be both form and emptiness all at once. When we have the guts not to move, we unfold as the radical transformation that we call the end of suffering, that we call enlightenment, that we call awakening. You mentioned that um, as far as a, uh, one's awakening, that it uh, hopefully will happen sooner or later, either on your deathbed or hopefully sooner than that. Mm -hmm. what do hopefully. You, yeah, right. Yeah. So how does it happen on somebody's deathbed? Well, there's this point at which if you've ever seen somebody die, uh, by the way, you want to see a teacher? Death. Death is such an amazing teacher. Um, when you see death come through a person, especially if it's pretty conscious, uh, there is a point where the release is so profound, there is no more resistance to not only the fact, but the situation, the circumstance, that the circumstance itself or this world of form or this body begins to just open. And you can see, even in someone who's in excruciating pain, as they die, there is this opening that happens. And it's almost like someone washed them with peace right before they die. Okay? This doesn't always happen. But that, as our teacher, if we can reach that if we can have that shower of Dharma rain, if we can have, if we can become one and many, part of the many, and a recognized, wise, conscious part of the one at the same time, that's exactly what happens. And so that's a gift that we give to everybody. Um, when that happens to, through, as, with, us, and experience, when they meet in that wonderful, open, empty, radical estate of total relaxation, where there is no craving and no resistance. There is no past and no future. There is only this present moment, this now. And even, um, I mean, I, I think it's virtually impossible to never have thoughts of the past or the future, to, to try to crave something or avoid something. But even if you're able to be the witness of that, you're not, you're, you're, you're separating yourself from it, aren't you? Yeah, if you witness it, then the craving can be observed rather than identified with. It's in the identification with the craving. The craving loses so much of its force if it's observed. It's when the craving 
unconsciously whips ego around or ego whips the craving around into this magnificent story about what is needed or what it wants to avoid you know and uh so what happens is well i i agree to a point with your 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 uh words that it's virtually impossible not to have craving or resistance sure that comes up what changes is not that they come up or don't come up it's that when they come up the relationship that an awakened mind has with all that is contracted is hugely open it doesn't have the same effect anymore just like if you learn how to swim water doesn't bring up the same type of fear uh, to, in today when you talked about the four different things that could be happening during meditation thoughts mm -hmm. um, I heard it a little differently I've always heard the look forward and it's either something in the future or something in the past and grasping and resisting but then during the meditation I actually something had happened this afternoon that upset me mm -hmm. and it kept coming up and I kept saying past past and then all of a sudden I said it's resistance I mean I'm really it's coming up because I'm not wanting to think about it anymore <laughs> right. and then when I it, I labeled it resistance it was different I mean, it, some little more space came. It was like it got the right label. <laughs> that, right. You see? Or, you know. Right. Well, that's really true, actually. I mean, what you're yeah. saying is you, there, there was an even deeper level of experience that you were able to show up for with even greater honesty. Yeah, it was more honest. Right? Wasn't. And in that honesty, you transmute that lead into gold that's right. the spiritual alchemy that we're doing right right yeah and that was i had that experience of a little bit of space yeah then i had to come up again but oh and guess what it probably will <laughs> yeah right. but one of the things you'll notice as with uh uh pain in meditation if you ever really like sit with total discomfort physical. in meditation physical pain mm -hmm. it's one of the great teachings of physical pain is that it comes in waves mm -hmm. it like it'll show up and it's like Okay, okay, that time out. Oh, yeah, but my teacher said breathe five times when I can't get, when it's too, too much. Okay, so I'm going to breathe five times. Okay, I want to kill that guy. Why does he, who does he think he, you know, Buddha boy? <laughs> you know, what a bastard. Making me sit like this, it's just really, huh. Hey, it doesn't hurt so much. <laughs> You know, it, and, and our experience with emotional pain is exactly the same way. And so what a practice does is it literally readies the consciousness for the waves. Not with resistance, but just with, you know, opening to more waves. And sometimes those waves are storm surges. They come crashing through the levees. All right? Yet even in that type of emotional or physical trauma we meet the experience at every moment and what do we do that's that's a way of becoming multi-dimensional in our approach towards spirituality instead of having the etch-a-sketch we have the this 
amazing teaching from whatever our experience is that shows us this multidimensional expanse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It works, huh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> About owning other people's problems. Mm -hmm. So how could you help tie that in to the discussion of tonight's meditation? Yeah, if it help me help me a little bit with the term owning other people's problems, meaning when you see somebody meaning else having a problem. When you see someone or someone comes to you and says, I don't like what you do. I'm really upset with you. Shame on you. I'm so mad at you. I could just scream or people are coming coming to you and go, oh, I had the worst day today. And and isn't our boss terrible? Right. Yeah. Those kinds of day-to-day -day situations, and they just kind of hit you, and you feel bad. I feel bad inside, you know. Yeah. I feel sad and mad and bad. Like you take it on. Like I like I want to take it on, and I try really hard to breathe, and just say that that's that person's problem, but it's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if our habitual inertia with the world is to take on other people's problems. If, if instead of just being an ear, we actually let someone else's contraction feed or fuel our own, right? In other words, their contraction, they are in a place of intense anger, defensiveness, resistance, whatever it is. Resistance is incredibly contagious to that in us, which resists. So in other words, if we typically come from a position of resistance, if that's usually our, our typical mode, somebody else who's coming from a position of resistance, especially if it's at us or is about something that's you know, close to us, boy, man, that every little thing hits the armor and we feel every one of them. So the prescription from the doctor is, <laughs> the prescription is make sure when this is happening, you don't try to breathe. You just pay attention to your breath, okay? That can actually help very much to ground you. And then be very aware of whatever feelings are coming up in relationship to their gripe or their bitch or whatever it is. Be there for it, but don't get caught by it. And the not getting caught by it means that you neither resist it, which gives it energy, and you also don't dive into it. You just are there for it. And then what you can do is be an ear. Then you can be a shoulder. Then you can be a loving embrace. Or you can be a stalwart, open, no. Any one of those things, any one of those responses, which by the way are all appropriate because they're not egoic, they come from love. And real love, real compassion, actually is about helping other people become more conscious. It is never about helping people become happy. Happy fluctuates like the wind. Happiness and sadness come like waves. Consciousness elevates that level of happiness. It le elevates that e experience of joy, of grace, and ease. 
That's why we're here. That's what really opening your arms, opening your hearts, opening your eyes and ears to another person's experience can offer if it comes from a place of consciousness. Thanks for coming tonight. Easy practice, right? Cake. Ha, ha, ha.